Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday night. Yeah, Tuesday night. And uh, I'm going to do the Haftorah. We got a sponsor. Uh, that's Edie and Lou Goldberg, uh, good friends of the podcast, who are doing it because in memory of Probas Tzvi Hirsch, who's Edie's mother. Okay, fine. So in other words, Lou's mother-in-law tonight. Uh, yard side of 25 L. Um, so very nice. And Sham Shavon Aliyah. Thank you very much. It's a, a nice way to pay tribute. Uh, we're looking at the Haftorah, of course, and these very famous ones. And the funny thing about famous Haftorahs is nobody knows them. <laughs> I think the Goyim know them, but the Jews don't know them. This is from Isaiah in the, in the 60s, and he's talking about the Messianic era, but in very pe- specific and, 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 and interesting ways. And uh, you can get just you know wrapped up in the rhetoric or listen to the beautiful Hebrew and not give it any... <clears throat> kind of thought of what exactly is Yeshayo predicting. The truth is we fun, run into a funny business with this parsha and others, both in the parsha of the week as well as the Torah, and that is this idea that it's not enough for you in the end, in time of Mashiach, to triumph. It has to be revenge on all those who did bad to you. Okay? Very Middle Eastern. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I remember years ago, Merv Griffin said, it's not enough for you to succeed. Everybody else in your high school class has to fail, <laughs> right? That kind, of, that kind of way of looking at it. And um, it's all strange because, uh, let me put it this way, if I suffered misfortune at your hands and then later on I prospered and, and, and did very well, I mean, it's considered small-minded of me to, to continue to keep the grudge. Uh, Esau did not do that with Yaakov, not back in Vayishlach, right? So, uh, it's all, in spite of what I just said, Yeshayo doesn't see it that way. And it's very interesting, the parallels that we have in Parshas Nitzav Vayech, Nitzav, I guess, where it says, the glorious prediction of future in the Chumash now, when all these, uh, you know, Tocha things happen, you'll start to repent. You'll reconsider. And you return to the Lord, and God will repay you by returning you to Israel. Right? And you'll go, and you'll uh, inherit the land. You'll be more prosperous than your forebears. And as I mentioned in the podcast yesterday, you'll have a tremendous spiritual thing. You'll attain. Everything's great. But then it goes on to say, So instead, the Goyim will get the Tocha. The enemies of the Jews who persecuted them and, and perpetrated the Tocha, they will get all the stuff that you find in there. They will suffer the cannibalism, the destroyed economies, the slavery, the utter destruction of their land. Notice all the things that it said will happen to Kal Yisrael. But if and when Kal Yisrael will repent, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them in this week's parsha, 
then it'll be flipped. Then you won't get it, but your enemies will get it, right? The Nazis or something like that will get it. So uh, it's almost like it's not a perfect, uh, you know, prediction, unless not only do you prosper, but the guys you hate do the opposite of prospering. And um, it is funny, by American secular ethical standards, uh, but get used to the Bible, get used to the Old Testament. And the reason I mention is because, if you look at the Torah today, on the one hand, the prophet Isaiah, Yeshayahu, is ecstatic. So, so, see Hashem. Right? Clothes me, God is clothing me, Kla Yisrael, in the garments of salvation, covering me with the robe of righteousness. Like a chasen puts on his garland and a bride, her jewels. In other words, if I wear the clothes of salvation, that's the expression meaning that I will enjoy a full salvation. It'd be like salvation will grow from the ground like plants and vegetables. And all that's great. And he goes on to say, And all the gaim will see your glory and your righteousness. And so on and so forth. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. If we'll emerge as something with moral superiority in the Messianic era, the opposite, then that's very good. Nobody gets hurt. But we triumph. Okay? And he goes on and all these, you know, wonderful prophecies and... Um, and your enemies will, will no longer, you know, uh, deny you food and things like that. But then he says the famous thing, which is very well known, Watchmen, What of the Night? Mise Bome Edom, right? In, in chapter 62. Who's coming from the south? So in this glorious Jerusalem, uh, which is covered with all kinds of salvation and jewels and this and that and the other. Physical and spiritual, in other words, material prosperity and, um, how should I put it, philosophical and, and, and theological prosperity, uh, which is an interesting phrase. You see a bloody rider coming from a distance from the south, from Edom. Well, I shouldn't say the south. In the time of the prophet Yeshayahu, it was the south. Edom is, of course, south of Israel. But in Jewish lore, because this prophecy is, of course, read this time of the year all the time, Shabbat and Nechemta. But it's also very well known otherwise. And obviously all the people in the world can read the Bible and whatever translations are aware of it. And Edom does not necessarily have to mean the kingdom of Edom or what's south of Israel. But as you and I know, for whatever reason, Edom came transposed to the Roman Empire and possibly uh, the religion that took over the Roman Empire. You know, all these themes of Edom are, are, are basic. And so you see somebody in the Messianic era. So in other words, the physical Roman Empire is not going to be around. I mean, I know that and you know that now sitting here long after the fall of the Roman Empire, even though Yeshayahu lived before the rise of the Roman Empire, right? No matter when you date the, the um, Isaiah prophecies, there wasn't an Edom Rome yet. And, um, and yet, um, Edom will become a symbol of the persecution of the Jews. They destroyed the base of Migdash, they destroyed the state, they leveled Jerusalem, did all the rest of it. Later, when the church comes over, they, they persecute the Jews severely, they put an end to rabbinic activity in Israel in the 4th century, all the long litany of stuff down to the Inquisition, who knows what. And now, it should be that whatever happened to all that, that's in the past. Uh, now, in the fullness of time, 
the Geula has come, and I don't know how, but we're back in Jerusalem and back in, in Israel, and everything's great. And and he goes in a great description about that, right? Ito. Um, People call Jerusalem Jerusha, Irlon Ezova, the city not abandoned. But then the on the watchtower of the new city, the splendid new city, is I see someone coming from the distance, me Right? I see somebody coming with blood stained clothes, with red clothes from Basra, which is an Edom. Okay? He's glorious in his apparel. Marching in the greatness of his might, so it's like a, like say, a, a knight in shining armor, bloody shining armor. And I say, who is that? I'm the watchman. Who is this? You know, like you say, halt. Who goes there? And the answer is, I am the one who speaks in righteousness, Rav mighty to save. Knows Hashem. Uh. So the watchman calls out, Why is all your clothes red? Your clothing looks like, you know, you were trampling in the wine press. Now that means it's covered in red. Now you know and I know it's not from the wine press. But it looks like that. So, you know, if you don't know what happened, it was involved in a bloody struggle, you wouldn't know it. And the rider answered, You see, the posse goes one after another, but it's a dialogue. And the posse goes on to say, the writer is uh, announcing, shouting to the watchman, Puro Darachti Lavadi, right? I have trodden the wine press alone. <laughs> so, how does it mean to trod the wine press? You step on all the grace and crush them. Do you get the marshal? I stepped on the enemies, I've stepped on Edom and crush them all, right? And when you step on the grapes in the wine press, obviously your feet get, get red from the wine, from the, red, from the grapes. So here, you're crushing the Edom, your feet, so to speak, are getting full of the red stuff of the blood. And I had no allies. From the, all the nations of the world, any Shiti, nobody joined me. Right? So that's interesting. So that's why I'm so bloody, because I did it all myself. So it indicates, in some way, that in this future era, there will be some kind of conflict. And the Kalis will be attacked by Edom in some fashion. And no one will come and help them. They'll be all alone. Their alliances will prove to be paper. All the promises made to them garnished. <clears throat> the mom should be the fulfillment of what, what, what the, the prophet Bilaam said, Ambadad Yeshev. Right? Uh... This has not happened yet to the state of Israel. They've had American support for 70 years, but, you know, you don't, nobody knows tomorrow. Nobody helps. And because no one helps, so the Jews don't have a chance. And because they don't have a chance, God has to intervene. There'll be a, a magical, a supernatural, divine happening that will come in and save the Jews. This parallels what you read in the book of Daniel, where he says also that, you know, uh, it'll be a time of terrible suffering until heavenly forces step in on the side of Kal Yisrael. Um, I don't even know what that means. 
In other words, there's not some giant out there. Some plague will hit them. I don't know. But Tur Dachim me. I'm in No one helps me. But Edrichim Bambim. But God says the the the, the bloody rider, the guy riding the horse with with um, bloody clothes, says I did it myself. I took them all myself. Edrichim Bapi. I trampled them in my anger. The Ermesim Bchamosi. Same thing. And what you see is their their Yenitzcham. You know the wine of their uh, defeat. Or as you put it over here, their their blood. It's sprinkled on my clothes. And I've stained all my clothes. So in other words, I've been through a bloody fight, but I killed them all, or I smashed them all, or something like that. And so he's seeing over here, in the midst of this glorious prediction of Lamansion Lo Lo Eshkot, Kenoga and all that, that does not mean that the other nations will sit there and take it and, and, and look in admiration and say, oh, you're so superior to us and all the rest of it. Halvai. But instead, they'll really get angry and they'll form wars against us and we'll find ourselves friendless and they, they on the other hand, will have a lot. And I'll be there, we won't have a chance. And it sounds like bad stuff will happen to the Jews until there's some divine intervention. And the reason will be divine intervention is because there's no humans that'll help. And if it's a divine intervention, you know, if Hashem does it, it's a bloody business. What do I mean? Just give you one example. Suppose God, I mean, I'm just making this up off the top of my head. Suppose God simply sends some kind of virus on them, right? So they all die or something from a virus, which is something a human couldn't do to kill, you know, zillions of people, all this sort of thing uh, in one shot. The, the way you would explain it metaphorically is my, my clothes are covered in blood. I trampled the, the vintage. I think that's where they get um, my eyes are seeing the glory of the coming of the Lord. What am I thinking of? You know, the battle of the Republic. He has trod the grapes of wrath. The vintage is stored. Something like that. It's like a, it's a biblical, semi-Christian type of, um, you know, that was the anthem of the Union in the Civil War. You know that, right? The South had the Dixie and the North had the... Uh, the um, you know mines you didn't do battle him of the republic and also the uh, the union forever or whatever it's called the the uh, the rally rally around the flag I forget the name of the title um, whatever it is they're all new from the Bible and Isaiah's uh, uh, prophecies okay and the writer says Yom Nakam the day of vengeance was in my heart. And the, and the time of redemption had come. In other words, this was fore, foreshadowed, forewarned, foretold that there's no geula apparently in a nice liberal way. There's no geula with nobody getting hurt. Um, it's possible for something like that to happen, but it's not going to be the destiny of the Jews. Do you know where this destiny happened? When communism fell down, what is it, 30 years ago? in Eastern Europe. And to everyone's surprise, when the communist regimes fell, the people in the different countries, I remember it was interesting, except for Romania, countries said, we're going to get rid of the communists, we'll bring back regular, free, non-communist governments, and we're not going to kill the guys that did stuff. We're just going to pension them off, go into retirement, and leave us the heck alone, and we'll run the country. They didn't go in a vengeance thing. It's interesting. Czechoslovakia, 
Hungary, I think Bulgaria also, Poland, you know, those kind of places. It's very mature of them, you know. We don't need to go and say who did what um, and who's a war criminal and all the rest of it because they have plenty of those. But, you know, you worked for the secret police until now and they're the communists. Now just, like I say, go into retirement, go to bowling alley, you know, take your check and just shut up and live out your life and leave us alone. That is not the destiny here. Yom Nakam Belibi. Hashem said, what the people did to the Klai Yisrael has always put a Yom Nakam of vengeance in my heart. This is vengeance of the Lord, not vengeance of the people. And you see over here that God is a vengeful God. It's not PC, the sadist, it's not woke. It should be that God transcends vengeance, we would say. But that's not how he's portrayed in Yeshayahu. That's not how he's portrayed in the Haftorah today and in many other Haftorahs. Yom Nakambalibi means I've been planning this revenge for a long time. In my lave, right? Deep down. Which is why we Jews always assign a uh, meta-historic significance to the stuff that happens to us. Different nations undergo ups and downs, and different nations have their time of suffering. But we have a propensity, as you know from the fast day stuff and Tishabab stuff, all the rest of it, to read cosmic significance into the misfortunes that strike us. And it's reinforced by the by, by texts like the Haftorah that I'm reading today. Right? The time would come for me to punish the others. And had no helpers. Right? So knows the world isn't interested in, in punishing those who hurt Klai Yisrael. Uh, let me tell you something. When World War II was over, for a short time, but only a short time, they said, let's go punish the war criminals. That was uh, Truman. And even then... There were those who say, nah, don't do it. There was no law that they broke and all the rest of it. The interest of the world in punishing a Nazi war criminal did not last long. And there was a famous American judge, Robert Jackson. He's my favorite Supreme Court judge. And he took a leave of absence from the U.S. Supreme Court in order to be the prosecutor at the Nuremberg trials. And he made a famous speech, which you can listen to online, in which he said, there's no law, the law to punish them. If we don't have a law to punish people for killing millions of people, then Ochenvei for us. And as you know, they punished and hanged so and so many, but then it was over. All the other Nazis really got off with rather light sentences, and when Israel kidnapped Eichmann and hanged him, uh, privately, the nations of the world, the U.S., Britain, France, Germany, said, don't you dare do this again. Uh, and Ben-Gurion backed off. He didn't announce it, but they backed off. Israel never went after anybody again, until the 1980s, when world culture had changed and the Holocaust had assumed a much larger role in Western culture. I have YouTubes on that. That's a long partial by itself. Um, so, Abidvain Ozer, Beshtom Bein Somer. Nobody wanted to help me punish the perpetrators. So Hashem says, As I'll do it myself. Right? My own arm will help me. Okay? I have my own arm brought salvation to me, and Hamasi Smachasni, and my anger upheld me, meaning I can handle this myself because I have suffered. Meaning, sorry if the Jewish people suffered as they did, then Hashem did. And therefore, I'll do it myself. I will smash that, trod down the peoples in my anger, 
and I'll make him drunk with my fury, meaning I'll, I'll, I'll make him drunk with, with tsaris, with vetog, for ori le'aretz nitzcham. And then he goes on to other glorious sorts of things. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating there that this is a major element in the Messianic scheme. A lot of times we call it Gogomogog. There are other names that are given for it. Somehow or other, the scenario is such that there will not simply be an evolution of goody-goodyism. And as I said before, I'm talking about the Jewish vision of the Messianic era. It's, it has an apocalyptic aspect to it. It's not simply everything will be nice and nicey and peace and love will break the world. How was it when I was a kid? The moon will be in seventh house. Peace and love will spread over the world. Something like that from the 60s. Uh, the age of Aquarius. It won't be like that. That's not what Yeshua is talking about. It'll be the age when the Jews will get back to Eretz Yisrael. It'll be a great place. He'll be shining big to Yesha. Right? All that. It'll be irritetic, irlo azuva, but lo yamer lochon azuva, l'artzich shmama, ki kari chepzi bol artzich ba'ula. The name, Eretzol will be in a good place, kari l'ashem chadosh, a teres teferes b'yad Hashem, but on the other hand, um, let's put it this way, uh, <laughs> Taurus will still be there. As a matter of fact, if you need shomrim on the walls, it means the Yerushalayim will be under threat. And no one will do anything about it, even though they're praising your, uh, your, the Jews in Yerushalayim, until Hashem says, okay, I'll do it myself. I can handle it. I can trot all the grapes, if necessary. I, I, can, I, I can do it. Uh, and he will. But then it'll be a bloody business. Now, your classic Mepharshim and all that, each one tried to transpose it onto the Edom of his time. As you can imagine, the Abarbanel says it's all the notes for him, you know, who caused the Inquisition and all this other kind of business, as as, as you can imagine, right? I mean, if you're the Abarbanel and you saw what the Spanish did to the Jews in 1492 and afterwards, um, and then, you know, you're uh, enraged, in, in, in correct? And you see that there's no helping for the Jews who are spit upon and, and, and downtrodden everywhere. And uh, then you say like this, okay, I'm not going to see any salvation now, but I'll see the Mashiach time. If you're the Barbanel, you believe the Mashiach was coming in four or five years. Uh, and he says over here, uh, he says over here that, uh, uh, how should I put it? When it says in the prophecy I just read you, that the yain of their nesach is on my clothes. What, what does the nesach mean? The eternal. See, so he says, you know, Rome and the church that followed Rome has been around for a very long time. Therefore, their destruction will be very long, long lasting. Hasmonas malchus romi benitzliusa yaridena biashbina lars. The the long standing malchus of Rome and its nitzchias will be cast to the ground. Ganesha romi hismida. The Roman Empire lasted much longer than Persia and Rome. And he means over here, and Yavan, he means over here the, the, the Roman Empire and its successor, because to him he sees this is part of uh, the, 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 the Barbanel. The church was a continuation of Rome, of course. Uh, and he says, this is nothing but what you see in the Picker of Eliezer, who says, Shalosh Melchamesh 
that the Bnei Yishmael will cause three wars of Mahuma. This is in the Pirkei of Lezer in chapter 29. Uh, three war, uh, wars of confusion. In Achres Yomim, Achas Besodeh, Achas Bayom, Achas Bekrach Kodesha Baromi. Shekinim Shinim, there'll be a three-part war. I don't know how you tie this into 9-11, but I'm sure some smart person could do so if you paid him enough. Um, and uh, and the idea is that this would be part of the Messianic era. We today are seeing the Hashbola of uh, Edom at the hands of Bnei Shmuel, so to speak, as as they um, take over Europe. It's very interesting that's happening, you know, take over Europe. I don't know how this fits into the Isaiah prophecy, but we're living in, in strange times. And because uh, Europe always was a bastion against Islam, and Islam was a bastion against Europe, and now the the lines are more permeable. How this plays out with Israel and uh, in all the events that are taking place there, I don't know. But it's clear that, you know, when it happens, we'll be able to, see, in my opinion anyway, you'll be able to see the exact meaning of the uh, Nevuas that are over here, meaning in the in, in the Isaiah prophecy, along the line, somewhat of the Abarbanel, okay, who says... They we're talking about the punishment of uh, of Romy and and, and Yeshua notes three and the and the whole of business. If you're interested, I would recommend you. It's very interesting, actually. This is very long, as always with the Barbanel. Is a long description over here in, in Perik Samach Beis and Samach Yibel of the Book of Yeshayahu, um, and you'll see how he uh, and and how he uh, develops the theme. All I'm leaving you with is: Do not think when Mashiach comes, then it's all over. And everybody lives happily ever after. There's going to be some wars before that happens. When all of it's over, after the last hydrogen bomb is dropped, so to speak, and you know, ain't nothing left except two tzaddikim, then you can say the war's over. But uh, then it'll be like Noah after the flood, nobody's there. But before that happens, there will be a state of Israel, so to speak, uh, in a glorious way, it may include the Harbites, whatever, but then it'll be followed by by um, enemies, and there'll be no help for Israel. No one will ally with them, and you know, and Hashem will say, "I'll have to do the job myself." That is a scary uh, scenario, uh, which sets things up for a certain tension, I suppose, that the rabbis wanted the people have before Rosh Hashanah the Yom Adin. Anyway, that's what it occurs to me. Again, I want to thank our sponsor today, uh, Edie and Luke Goldberg. It's very nice of them. For um, it's her mom, right? Yeah. Peshabat Svihosh, Yardside 25L. And uh, 25L should be actually the first day of the creation of the world, I think. Isn't that right? The first day of Tishrei is the day when man was created, but not the beginning of the Yehior and all that stuff. So I, I do thank the Goldbergs. And with that, I wish everybody a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.